This recording is from Fintech Nexus USA, formerly known as London Fintech USA, held at the Javits Center in New York City on May 25th to 26, 2022. It's from the track, The Shifting State of Fintech Investing, sponsored by Alan and Overy, and is titled The Professionalization of Venture and the VC Landscape. Speaking on this session is Frank Rotman from QED Investors. Well, I appreciate everyone uh, coming. Uh, it, it's interesting getting in front of uh, old faces that I haven't seen in a long time and you know some new faces that hopefully I'll get to meet. But it's an interesting topic to talk about venture capital at a fintech conference. Um, but the, the reality is, without venture capital, a lot of what people are building would be very difficult. Um, I've taken the time over the past you know, 10, 15 years to really examine the venture capital ecosystem, how it's constructed, why it's constructed the way it is, and spent a lot of time talking to compatriots in the space about why this industry is the way it is. And you get some pretty interesting answers that all conclude with, because that's the way it's been done. Now, you as founders, you as other people who are, are in the ecosystem understand that when you get that answer, it's not a good answer. right? So banks do things the way they do because it's the way that it's always been done. And then startups come along, new companies come along to disrupt them. The same thing is about to happen in the venture capital world. Um, it's been run a certain way for a very long time. It's been run that way because it's the way it's always been run. But forces uh, are at work that are actually going to cause the VC ecosystem to change. So I wrote a paper about it after talking about it for a long time with a lot of people. Figured now is the time to really get that out. So if you're looking for the full paper, you can find it at qedinvestors.com, or you can find it on fintechjunkie.com. You can follow me on Twitter at at uh, fintechjunkie, and you'll find it. Um, So in this 20-minute presentation, I'll skim the surface on what's in the actual presentation, what's in the white paper. Um, If you find it interesting, feel free to contact me online. I'm easily findable. Uh, I respond to pretty much everyone. So you should be able to get answers and we can connect. So let me see if I can get the clicker to work. There we go. So the paper is actually written around a theme. And those of you who follow me know that I I like breaking things down into memorable themes because it's a way of uh, capturing a concept and getting people to remember it and start putting things in frameworks. And the framework that I thought about for the venture capital ecosystem was this famous physics problem called the three-body problem. Um, Some people might have read the science fiction book about that recently, but that is based on the old physics problem, the three-body problem. And the three-body problem is really a a physics problem that's very difficult um, that that astronomers have always tried to solve when you have three big bodies that are actually interacting with each other, figuring out what the motion of those three bodies are when gravity is actually affecting them. It's actually a very difficult challenge. It's a much more solvable problem when one of the three bodies is actually very small. When there are two big bodies and one small body, there are points of stability for that small body that will find themselves in, where with very little activity, they can actually find themselves in a stable spot. So when we think about seeking stability, you know, the venture capital ecosystem is one that does need stability. Um, it's an ecosystem where you have big forces that are being exerted on it. And in order to find stability, you've got to figure out 
why you exist, where you exist, so that for the various parties that are affecting you, um, you're actually serving their needs. So if we think about the ecosystem, you've got the private capital ecosystem, that's actually the small body, and people lose sight of this. The venture capital ecosystem is actually a very tiny ecosystem. Um, people think about it as much larger than it is because at the individual level or the individual company level, you can produce very big outcomes. But as an asset class, it's been very small for a very long period of time. The larger ecosystems are the LP ecosystem, that's one of the big bodies, and on the other side are the startups, and that's a very big ecosystem, and in fact, it's exploding. But from a venture capital standpoint, it actually is, at the individual firm level, a very small body, and that small body is being influenced by what's happening in the LP ecosystem and what's happening in the startup ecosystem. Um, the startup ecosystem is actually changing. And with these changes, you have to find new points of stability. The startup ecosystem is affected by LPs, and the LPs have been allocating more and more capital to the private ecosystem as they've realized what the outcomes look like. They've been fueling businesses. They've been uh, giving them the capital they need to stay private longer than ever before. And by staying private longer, they're producing more value in the private ecosystem rather than in the public markets. And on the startup side, you have a lot of forces that are at work. You know, if you actually just think back 10 or 15 years, what it took to get a startup from zero to one was very different than it is today. Right? So it used to be that shipping code was magical. If a team was able to do that, like they were a world-class team. Uh, figuring out how to assemble the tech stack in order to create your product. That was considered magical. If you could do it, you're a great team. Right? Understanding how you actually scale a business, that was considered magical. Well, now it's not so magical. All of these things are much better known than they've ever been in the past. So now you have hundreds of thousands of people in the startup ecosystem that have worked at other startups before. Right? You have tech stacks and middleware layers that make it easier to launch a business than ever before. Uh, the ability to get from zero to one is easier than it's ever been. So the startup ecosystem is changing, which means that what they need from the venture capitalist is different. And the LP ecosystem has changed significantly because they're looking to put lots of money to work in an ecosystem that now has tens of thousands of businesses. So the concept that the VC ecosystem is immune from change, it, it just doesn't make sense. And in the paper, if you read the whole thing, there are analogs to uh, what happened in consulting and analogs to what happened in uh, investment banking and what, what happened in accounting. Like These are ecosystems where when other forces changed, the ecosystem had to change. And because of the forces that are changing in the LP and in the, the startup ecosystem, it's undeniable the change is going to come to the VC ecosystem. So um, if we actually true back to the concept of the three-body problem, it's all about finding points of stability. Right? So it's not that you can't exist in a point of instability forever. It just means that it's a lot of work. But if you find these natural points where the two larger bodies, you're actually serving them well, so in the world of VCs, do you have a product that LPs want? And for the startups, do you have a product that the startups want? That's a very stable, uh, very stable position to be in strategically because it means that the best startups are going to find you, they are going to want you, and the best LPs are going to be giving you the money. 
And if that's true, then you're at a natural point of stability. So in the paper, I actually go through uh, various points of stability that really revolve around this framework about what VCs actually do, right? So VCs, we raise capital, right? That's coming from the LP side. We invest the capital. Um, we eventually return the capital, and hopefully that profit ends up coming back into the ecosystem. But the middle of th this manufacturing process in, in venture capital is really about see, analyze, win, and support. Those are the four major things that venture capitalists do. And if you do those four things well, you have a product, right? And it's a product that you're selling to LPs, and it's a product that you're selling to startups. So the real question is, in this new world where startups are easier to build than ever before, there are more of them, there are more people running around in the startup ecosystem, and LPs are trying to allocate lots of capital into the private markets, in this C-Analyze win support cycle, what is a configuration that actually makes sense for both parties? And in the paper, I outlined four major stable points, and there's a lot more detail in the presentation. This is just the summary of each one. Um, the first stable point is scale. Not a surprise, in most industries, scale is the stable point. And in, in the VC ecosystem in particular, scale is very interesting because um, when you have capital, when you have resources that can actually help the companies, in very different ways than they could help themselves. You can run a playbook for that company and they can rely on you for things that the non-scale players can't. So instead of having to shout from the rooftops and say, look, this is a great company, and then finding someone else to fund the next round of capital, like if you are a large multi-stage player and you have the ability to support your company along the way, that's actually a very good value proposition. It's also a good value proposition to the LPs because you know, you're capturing a lot of the area under the curve of the returns on the best companies instead of passing them off to another investor. It's also a good value proposition to startups because if you have a deep team of experts and resources, which you can now afford because you're at scale, there are things that you can help them do that they couldn't afford on their own. Right? So you're starting to see scale in the industry you're starting to see some of the players raising multi-billion dollar funds. In fact, if you look at the firms, not just the funds, a lot of them have 10 billion, 15 billion, 20 billion dollars under management. And with that level of resourcing, there are things that they can do in ways they can support their companies that other VCs can't. Uh, the second stable point is a non-consensus alpha player. And you can think about this as a, a specialty in writing the first check into a company. Right? So there are a lot of founders that have never built anything. There are a lot of founders you know, who are uh, trying to build businesses that have never been built before. Right? I mean, that's almost the definition of uh, a startup that's trying to blaze a path and unseat incumbents. But now in this world where there are thousands of them that are out there every single year, the expertise about being able to suspend disbelief about all the things that have to happen before you build a big business, like that is a skill. Um, when people uh, talk about venture capitalists and they say, what are the things they pay attention to? A lot of venture capitalists, the answer is team and TAM. Right? It's about finding the greatest teams. It's about finding the sectors, the spaces, uh, the problem statements that have very large uh, potential attached to them. 
Well, if you really collapse that, it means that a lot of the team and TAM investors, they're talent scouts, right? And they're spending time with all of these early stage founders and they're listening to narratives and they're able to suspend disbelief and work with them to get the business launched. So that there's some proof points that an investor down the line will give them the capital they need to continue to build the business. And in some ways, this is Darwin at work, right? The whole world of non-consensus alpha is saying, look, these are risky businesses that have to do things that are hard. So you have a whole series of non-consensus alpha investors that are out there that take that first risk. They take the first leap. They are the talent scouts. They are finding the interesting novel ideas. And they say, look, let's give you the money to turn over some cards and see if you're right. You know, the third stable point is around late-stage generalists. Now, it is a misnomer in the venture capital community that there is this destination, right? And, and this destination is going public or selling your company. Well, the reality is that's just the start of a new chapter, right? An IPO is actually just a fundraising event, and it is a turnover of old investors for new investors. But if you're building something durable, like the company is going to be there for a long time, like you want to build a company that's going to be there for decades, if not hundreds of years. So there's this strange point about saying we have succeeded, like we have done what we were here to do, and we are going to turn over the company now to a new set of investors. Well, connecting the dots isn't always easy. And that's where a lot of the late stage generalists come in. You know, these are the people who in the private market say, look, if you need to do a turnover of your investors, if you're going to turn over into the public markets, like, let us tell you how the public markets is going to think about you. Let us tell you what that next set of investors is going to care about. Let's get the hygiene in place to do this. And by the way, we can do this with certainty because we want to continue with the story. Right? We don't only want to write the check and then hand it off to investors. We're going to be the first turnover. We are going to be the ones that will help you actually go public. And then we plan on holding the stock of the company because we know the story is just starting. Right? If it's a good, big, durable company, it's going to produce returns in the public markets as well as the private markets. So this has significant value to LPs and significant value to the startups. And the fourth stable point is around solo capitalists. Now, if you actually think about a solo VC, it's a VC that revolves around a single individual or you know, a few named individuals that have done something in their life that gives them a unique set of skills and they might have a platform that has a unique set of value that it can provide. And these solo capitalists are raising small amounts of capital, and there are a few of them that are raising large amounts, and, and that could be problematic. But most solo capitalists are raising small amounts of capital, and what they're doing is saying, look, I want to help the startup ecosystem. I don't want to be a big VC. I don't want to manage a big team. I want to be independent. I want to be able to have the flexibility to work with the businesses that I want to work with where I'm uniquely qualified because of my history to help the company or the platform I have to help the company. And solo capitalists, this is a really interesting um, you know, stable point in the venture capital ecosystem because pound for pound, as long as they keep their funds small, they are literally the most valuable players that you can have on the cap table. Because if a solo VC, a solo capitalist, wants to write a 100K check into a $6 million, $8 million round, but they're able to actually advise the company 
and they're able to use their platform to help attract talent, and they're able to use their platform to maybe even get customers and make introductions, that is the cheapest $100,000 check that a startup is ever going to have. So for VCs, like they're more than willing to introduce venture uh, the solo capitalists to the cap table so they can get all sorts of positive selection and they can get uh, introductions that they need. Um, you know, to the startups, they love uh, having some of these, these solo VCs around the table because the unique experience that they provide is extraordinarily valuable to the startups. In fact, this is where QED started. It was Nigel and myself that came from building Capital One. And we had a unique set of skills that we could bring to the table. We had a small capital base. It was our own capital. We weren't leading rounds. We were tucking ourselves in. But guess who was calling us? Right? I mean, it was other VCs. It was other private equity firms saying, hey, can you take a look at this company? We'd love to have you. Whatever check size you want to write, you can write. Because they knew we were going to write small checks. Right? And same thing with the founders. The founders all wanted us. When we were introduced to companies, they wanted us more than the player that was introducing them. And they were using us as a way of saying, look who we brought to the table. Right? This is a very stable point, And you're seeing a lot of solo, solo VCs, solo capitalists form. So what happens if you're not in one of those four spots? Right? These are four very stable spots where LPs should want to give you their money and founders should want to allow you to give them money. But what if you're not in one of those stable spots? Well, all you have to do is ask these two questions, and if you don't have good answers to them, you're in an unstable orbit. And for a lot of firms, and I've talked to them after publishing this paper, they're like, well, what about us? And here's what we do. I'm like, look, you could survive. You could do well. But it's a lot more work. Right? They might have to work to get the LPs to understand their story and why they're going to be able to generate outsized returns. And they might have to work hard in order to get the, uh, the, the founders to understand the value that they bring to the table. But what you don't want to be is in a position where every time you issue a term sheet, you're the third choice, the fourth choice, the fifth choice. Right? And a lot of firms have found themselves in that position recently. You know, do you want to be in the exhaust of one of the top tier firms? Right? Like, that's actually a very difficult position to be in. So asking and answering these questions is a very tough thing for VCs because they have to look in the mirror and say, am I really adding value? I mean, this is the big joke. All you have to do is say, I'm a VC, I'm here to help, and the founders will laugh. Right? Founders will look and say, I, I hear that from all the VCs, and the VCs have not lived up to the promise. And a lot of it is because they either haven't professionalized or they don't have a value proposition that they're actually providing to the companies. They're just a source of capital. But a stable product is a source of capital plus the advice and services that you can give to a founder. And if you notice, in every single one of these stable points, it's not just about the capital. Right? If all you are is a capital provider, there's a superior solution in one of these four positions for every single company and every single LP. So you've got to ask and answer these questions, and it's uncomfortable. Um, but every time that I write a paper, you know, people think that I, I, I'm prognosticating because three years or four years later, they look back and everything in the paper came true. It's happened for the past three papers that I've written. But the reality is I only write a paper when there's already data points showing that everything that I'm about to write is already coming true. 
And my job is actually just to create the framework so that people can understand what's happening. And you're already starting to see that funds are starting to locate in these four stables, uh, stable positions in the market. You have scale players that are emerging like Sequoia, Andreessen, Insight. You can't avoid looking at the multi-billion dollar raises that are happening all the time now. Um, people are worried about it. But the reality is the industry is professionalizing. And as it professionalizes, this is a natural thing to happen. And it is sucking the oxygen out of the room for a lot of second-tier and third-tier managers. And they're fighting, saying, why give them more money? Why not give us more money? And the answer is, what is your value proposition? Like, they have a value proposition. What's your value proposition? You know, non-consensus alpha, like there are some famous firms that, you know, are out there, you know, really blazing the path with being amazing first check writers into high-risk um, endeavors where you do have to suspend disbelief to believe something can be built. You know, you've got Lux, you have Benchmark, you have First Round, you have Slow Ventures, you have a, a number of great firms that are just great first check writers. Um, the late stage generalists, like people know Tiger and Dragoneer and Silver Lake, and you know, they've always served a purpose in the industry. It's funny when they stray from you know, their, their core value proposition. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. But the core value proposition of being able to connect the dots, right? I mean, you could look at Wellington in this, uh, this position, and a number of crossover funds are in this position, and it's a very stable spot. And the solo capitalists, I mean, you have new people emerging, like Harry Stebbings of 20VC, like he has a platform that he can provide, you know, to the companies. You have Sahil Bloom out there with his own fund now, you know, sub $10 million in size, and he has a platform where he can help companies. You've got Naval, who's known for funding these companies, and it's blurring the lines between, you know, super angels and people who are raising small amounts of money in order to fund businesses as kind of an individual. Right? So all four of these positions are happening. Like People are starting to migrate into them, and the firms that aren't are the ones that might find themselves working incredibly hard either to raise LP capital or to actually get companies to say yes to their value proposition. And not a surprise, I was just mentioning how much capital is flowing into the hands of you know, some of the bigger players. Um, you combine that with today's market conditions, and it is putting a lot of pressure, or I should say an acceleration on this trend, where when all times are good, there are funds that really don't have a reason to exist in the industry, but they did well. Because if you threw darts at the board during this last market cycle, you might have done well. But all of a sudden, with the correction in the market, the LPs now have to strategically figure out, with limited amounts of capital, where are they going to put it? In fact, most LPs, uh, they're dealing with what we think of as a denominator effect. They have basket ratios for how much they can allocate to different asset classes. And if the public markets have gone down, it means they actually have less money to deploy against privates, even if privates are doing well. So if the LPs have less money to allocate, they're going to start reviewing all of their managers. And in fact, you know, we have a number of LPs. I've talked to them. There's a rationalization about to go on where they say, wait a minute, why do we have eight generalists in our portfolio? Which ones are the good ones? Which ones are the great ones? Which ones should we reduce our exposure to? Which ones should we increase our exposure to? So there's going to be an acceleration of this trend given what LPs 
have to do. And unfortunately, I mean, everyone knows about the death spiral of a startup, right? If you start missing your numbers, it's hard to raise capital. If it's hard to raise capital, you have to refactor your business. If you have to refactor your business, people get laid off. If people get laid off, you lost the talent to actually accomplish things, then it's hard to hit goals, and then it's hard to raise capital. And then eventually, you close your doors, right? We all know what that cycle looks like. Well, there's a, an equivalent death spiral in the VC ecosystem about to happen. If you don't fund the best companies, you don't get the best results. If you don't get the best results, it's hard to actually raise capital from LPs. If you have problems raising capital from LPs, you can't feed all of the people around the table. The talent starts leaving. If the talent starts leaving, then you can't find the best deals, et cetera, et cetera. And this is going to be an unwinding in the next three to five years. It doesn't happen overnight in the VC industry because you have commitments from LPs and you know, there's a cycle of fundraising, but it's going to be harder and harder and harder over time for some of the mediocre um, you know, performing LPs, but also ones that are in unstable positions to actually continue to perform. So I'll leave the group with just this quote. Change is actually just a choice. That's all it is. It's a choice. Uh, it's not necessary to change. Survival isn't mandatory. <laughs> So what I'll say to the VCs and what I'll say to startups that are taking money from Z VCs, like you should think about whether the VC is in a stable orbit, whether it's in a stable position where it is a reason to exist in the market, where it has the support of LPs, it is finding the best companies, it is able to attract the talent to give the best advice. And if the answer is yes, then that VC is in a very strong position. And if the answer is no, it isn't. So... I'll leave everyone with this. The paper goes into it in a lot more detail. Again, at qedinvestors.com you can find it, at fintechjunkie.com you can find it, or you can find me on Twitter uh, at uh, fintechjunkie. Thank you very much.